0: This morning's text, as I mentioned, is from Psalm 46, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. You'll also note that that's the same as verse 11, and conceivably could also be included after verse 3. I'll point this out that there are three uh, stanzas to this psalm, as it were, and each one, uh, ends or could end with those words. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us ask the question, what is going on in this psalm? Is the church complaining in this psalm? Is this a a psalm of complaint? Or is the church praising God and Giving thanks to him? Is the church confessing her sin? Well, none of these descriptions adequately fit Psalm 46. There's something else going on in this psalm, something we could say that is exuberant. The church is boasting. In this psalm. So, not complaining, not just praising, not merely confessing sin or being humble, but boasting. The church is chanting of her confidence. Why? Because the Almighty God of power, the Lord of faithfulness, is with her in her midst. The Almighty God of power, the Lord of faithfulness, is with her in her midst. We have just come through the Christmas season. It's only a few weeks ago, a month ago, that we've heard so much about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard how God came down from heaven to earth in the form of Jesus The son of Mary. He was fully God and fully man. We'll hear more about this this afternoon. The son of God coming into the flesh. God living amongst his people. What was your response to that glorious truth that was celebrated at Christmas time? Was it thankfulness? Was it only thankfulness? Brothers and sisters, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, was our response to the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of our Savior and Mediator, was it exuberance? Were we excited enough about it to boast that our God and Savior has lived with us? Is it now, knowing this, that we can go forward in that same boasting, in that same confidence? Can we have exuberance, the same kind expressed in Psalm 46? And the answer to this question is, yes, we can, and yes, we may. We can live in confidence that not one day will pass. That God is not with us. So let us hear God's word this morning under this theme. Our confidence going forward that God is with us. That's how we summarize the passage. Our confidence going forward that God is with us. And We'll see two things. The almighty God of power is with us. And two, the sovereign Lord of faithfulness is with us. So first, the almighty God of power is with us. That's our confidence. I mentioned how this psalm has a particular structure. It's it's written in a stylistic way. There are three parts or three stanzas. The first part is verses 1 through 3. In that part or stanza, the psalmist describes the potential for fear in this life. All due to calamity and, and, and turmoil in this world in part because of natural disasters or world catastrophes. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These words aptly describe our world. We experience drought and wildfires, hurricanes and floods. This didn't only happen 3,000 years ago when the psalm was written. Indeed, brothers and sisters, where do we go when the elements of the earth, the fabric of society, is falling and tearing apart? Where do we go when we suffer under man made disasters? Where do we go when we face personal suffering or tragedy or illness or death? We go to our God, our refuge, and our strength. Although the potential for fear is there, we will not fear. Because we always find shelter and protection with the Lord. The second stanza It's found in verses 4 to 7. And that's about the city of God, we read there. How it is secure in the midst of the raging of the nations and the tottering of the kingdoms. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Can we even remember a time when the earth is not raging? When the nations are not in uproar. Today, we hear about and observe the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Israel-Hamas war, nuclear threat of Iran and North Korea and of China, civil war in Africa, the potential for a third world war. Well, here in Psalm 46 is the picture of the city of God, The people, the church of God. With a river flowing out of it. That's a picture that is actually the opposite of Jerusalem. What might happen to her? Because as we read in the Old Testament on several occasions, when an enemy surrounded Jerusalem, they besieged it. That is, they set up a camp outside the walls. They did not allow anyone in, and they did not allow anyone out. And the intention was not attacking, but waiting, waiting, waiting. An example of that is in 2 Kings 18, where Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marches against Samaria and lays siege to it for three years. So that's the kind of example of what a siege was. And that happened to Jerusalem, too. The purpose was to wait for all the food supplies to dwindle, for the water supplies to run out. And with all those supply chains cut off, eventually the city is forced to surrender. But usually that didn't happen until some very terrible things happened first. Faced with severe hunger and thirst, was not uncommon, we read that in the Old Testament, not uncommon for inhabitants, even in Jerusalem, to eventually do unthinkable things, like mothers killing their children and boiling them to have something to eat. Now, as I mentioned, Jerusalem is unlike the city described here in Psalm 46. It was very vulnerable to attack and siege. And that's because there was no river flowing into it and no river flowing out of it. That's unlike many cities, including our own city of Winnipeg. Many cities began because there was a water source, there was a river or a spring. The people of Jerusalem had to rely on cisterns that gathered water during the rainy season. This was such a severe handicap or problem for the city of Jerusalem that it eventually led King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 21 to commission the digging of a tunnel under the wall to tap into a spring outside the walls to alleviate this need. The point, though, is that when Jerusalem was under siege. That was a fearful thing for the inhabitants. It brought the people into dread. However, the people still boasted in God. God was with her, God was within her, in her midst. The Lord was her river of life. God will help her at break of day. And so indeed our text, as well as verse 11 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's because God was with her that the city of God is secure. So that's the second part of this psalm. The last part, verses 8 through 11, speaks about how God will end war among all the nations. He will break the weaponry at their disposal. Even though it appears that the strongest and the most violent will rule the earth, the Lord will bring desolations. He will make wars cease. He will break the bow and shatter the spear. He will burn the chariots with fire. And so it is that we also see those images today. Broken tanks scattered over the landscape. Sunken ships resting at the bottom of the ocean. Bombed out harbors. Nuclear facilities destroyed by missiles. Just when it seems that a nation or nations will become world powers, God puts an end to it. God tells the nations, Be still and know that I am God. Verse 10. Here, the word be still means it is enough. That's enough, God says. Hush up and listen. Be quiet. The Lord is for Zion. The Lord is for the church of Jesus Christ. He is her shield and buckler, her defense. God is in control. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. God is with us. And so now we see how our text, as well as verse 11, functions. It, it brings everything together. It, it points us to the theme of this psalm The Lord of hosts is with us. Original, in the original, it says, Yahweh Sebaoth. The Lord, Yahweh of hosts. And that can mean the hosts of heaven. The hosts of angels. Heaven's armies. God's supernatural warriors. And that points to God's power and strength and might. He is the almighty God. He leads a powerful army of angels to protect his people always. Even though they're not always seen, they are always there. They're like a wall around his people. Hosts can also refer to physical troops and armies, the armies of Israel that God ultimately led, so that with only a few, a thousand can fall. Indeed, with such troops... God can have them march around a city so that the walls of that city can fall. The Lord here could be, it could be understood as the army general who leads his troops, who leads his children, his believers to battle and victory. Well, our boast is, this Lord of hosts is with us. I mentioned the original. It says, Yahweh Siva'oth, the Lord of hosts. The next word, it's one word, is Immanuel, that is, with us. The church's confidence amid the catastrophes of creation and the nations comes from her Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel is with us. El means God. In the Old Testament, that presence symbolized, that, that presence was symbolized in the temple and prior to that in the tabernacle. Through the shedding of blood, that is of the sacrifices, God could be present among his people. It was a veiled presence, but God was still there. Zion could sing of that presence, that Christmas confidence. And that is all foreshadowing what is revealed further in the New Testament, the incarnation of the one and only Son of the Father. God's presence in Jerusalem, in the the tabernacle, and then in the temple, is prophecy of God with us in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament Emmanuel, our text, the Lord of hosts is with us, is fulfilled in the New Testament, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. But there's more. This Christ who is with us, who died on the cross for our sins, also rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and was placed there as head or king of the church. And so Jesus Christ rules. That's the New Testament proclamation. He is currently at this time ruling and leading us in victory over all our enemies. He is giving the powerful Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we can withstand all the fiery darts of the evil one so that we can withstand any suffering or disaster. That spirit gives us faith so that we can go forward following him. Jesus Christ through his spirit is today with us. And he is leading us on through history so that nothing can make us fear. Nothing. Not a natural disaster. Not not climate change. Not persecution. The Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, is with us. Let's now consider our second point. That our confidence is also that the sovereign Lord of faithfulness is with us. So we, we already considered the, that the almighty God of power is with us. Now we'll consider that the sovereign Lord of faithfulness is with us. The first part of our text was about that sovereign almighty God. The Lord of hosts is with us. But the second part says the God of Jacob is our fortress. What does that mean? The God of Jacob Well, that's a a reference to the story of the patriarch, Jacob, as we read about it in Genesis 25 to 50, a story that is full of ups and downs, at least from the human perspective. It's a story that's depicting family life seething with crises and dramas with deceptions and feuds, with rebellion and heartache. And then, of course, also lots of blessing and happy times. It wasn't a long-standing soap opera, but the history of the church, the infant church of God, the pre-Jerusalem state of God's people. It's a story about not only Jacob, but the descendants of Jacob. The nation that grew out of that cradle, that crying from that crying infant. And it isn't a history to be proud of. At least not in terms of the humanity of that history. But certainly to be proud of from the perspective of God's faithfulness. The God who loved Jacob, the God who cared for his people, for Jacob and his sons, despite all, God, according to his steadfast love and mercy, according to his covenant grace in the fulfillment of his promises, took hold of this people, this family, and brought them under his control. He even used their sins for his own purposes to bring it about that the people would be saved. Quoting those famous words of Joseph in chapter 50 of Genesis. Yes, ultimately God, and that's how Genesis ends, with with that promise, that, that command from Joseph to take his bones when they eventually leave the land. That God indeed would bring the people of Jacob out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He will bring them through the Red Sea on dry ground and drown the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea. He will protect the people throughout their wilderness wandering, using creation itself to feed them, leading them by day in a pillar of cloud and, and by night with the pillar of fire. He would be their wall by day and by night. He brought them through the Jordan River. He let them settle in the promised land. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Under King Hezekiah, perhaps is the most famous act of a faithful God for Zion. Before Hezekiah had a tunnel built under the wall to address the water supplies, we read about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, besieging Jerusalem and defying the living God of Judah. Hezekiah, following the faithful counsel of the prophet Isaiah, resisted Sennacherib's taunting. And God demonstrated his faithfulness to Hezekiah and to Jerusalem, the people of Jacob. He demonstrated that he was the faithful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised that he would make descendants of Abraham like the sand of the seashore and like the stars of the sky. And that God who keeps his promises... That God who remains faithful to his people, even though they were not always perfect and faithful toward him, delivered the people from Sennacherib. God's faithfulness is like a fortress. It's not only his almighty power, but also his covenant faithfulness. In in chapter one, it says God is our refuge. That speaks to shelter, that speaks to comfort. But when it says fortress, that speaks to something that is inaccessible, something that cannot be penetrated. Our faithful God is, is a stronghold, something too high to capture. We think of of castles in Europe that are built on mountain peaks, impossible to attack. The church, which by faith abides in God and in Christ Jesus, that trusts in his promises and his faithfulness and his electing grace, cannot be moved, cannot be shaken, will not fall. This we can boast of. We can boast in our Lord And the result is, we are confident. We are confident because God has promised our salvation. Especially, we can say that, in the knowledge of the giving of his one and only son. It's exactly what Jesus promised at his ascension. Behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. I am with you, God with us. God has come down, taken upon himself our flesh so that our sins could be paid for through the precious blood of Christ. And he is risen again, showing that he has power even over death. He has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, pouring out his Holy Spirit, which is a pledge, a guarantee, a deposit, a security of our glorious eternal inheritance. And we have that spirit in abundance because God has poured him out and he dwells in our hearts. So nothing, brothers and sisters, can rob us of our confidence. Yesterday, it might be the Cold War. Today, it is political unrest It could be a nuclear threat of Iran or North Korea. Tomorrow, it can be some newly discovered threat. Yesterday, it was the Roman church. Today, it's the rise of Islam. Tomorrow, it could be another religion attacking the true church of Jesus Christ. But in all of it, we remain confident. We're trusting in our faithful covenant God who has given us the Lord Jesus Christ as our Redeemer and Savior, and who will be with us to the end. We are confident because God was, and he is, and he will be. Jesus was yesterday, he is today, and he will be tomorrow. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And so we see how this confidence of Psalm 46 is a shadow of the New Testament festal boasting, exuberance, exhilaration that is ultimately described in the book of Revelation. We have read together from chapter 21. It says in verses 3 to 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then the consequence of that, the result of that is, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have read in Revelation 21 and 22 how. God being with Zion forever is even more important than a river. In fact, God with Zion, Christ, in and with God's people forever is the river in the midst of her, flowing out of her. God is with us. He is our eternal source of life. And so we have a wonderful future To look forward to. We can be confident. We can boast in the Lord. And in Jesus Christ. But let us also be alert. That it is not a false. Confidence. There is a great danger beloved. For the church to boast. Of her own fearlessness. And invincibility. By presuming that God is with her. When she is lacking humility. When she is not submitting to the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When she is grieving the Holy Spirit and not letting the Spirit dwell within her. When she is not walking in step with the Spirit. As Israel also discovered to her shame and misery... The Lord will not be with those who break covenant, who presume to enjoy his grace while trampling upon his commandments. Many today will learn to their eternal surprise what Israel learned, that God will not be with them. He will turn against those who reject him. God will not be their fortress. But he will be their enemy. Well, may it not be, brothers and sisters, that we have this false confidence that we fall asleep spiritually, that we become inattentive, inattentive because we are living in a false sense of security or because we are giving to the pleasures of our flesh. To sing of our confidence means that we also live according to God's commandments. We are faithful because he is faithful. We are holy because he is holy. So in conclusion then, let's boast in the Lord. Let's be confident in the Lord. Let our faith rest truly and firmly in our covenant God. Indeed, let's consider his immeasurable power, that he is able... And does subdue the whole world under him. Let's also consider his fatherly love that is manifested in his word. Yes, brothers and sisters, let nothing hinder our faith from defying all our enemies that may rise up against us. Let us not doubt that God will take care of us because he promised it. Let's not doubt that he is sufficiently able to fulfill his promise. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the God of enduring faithfulness in whatever circumstances of life. Amen. Let's now respond by singing again from Psalm 46. This time we'll sing the stanzas 3, 4, and 5. And we'll also again stand to sing Psalm 46 three, four, and five.